Well, when we began the, looking at the privilege of being stewards of our Lord, there is one thing I shared that I wanted you to remember. I want to remind you once again, and that is stewardship is not only a privilege, it is an honor. See, the person who is giving us a stewardship is doing so because they expect it to be done faithfully, but they also entrust us with something. And when we think about a stewardship, it is also usually a prized possession of one sort or another. Years ago, my wife and I, when we were still in school, uh, lived in a house for about a month. We, we rented it by the week, but the family was looking for somebody to watch their house while their mother was in rehab. So there was nobody in the house. It was winter to maintain the furnace and all that kind of thing. It was a cold furnace. And so we ended up staying there for a month. Well, you know, you stop and think, you're entrusting somebody with the upkeep of their house that is maintained during the winter. Well, that's one thing we went through. Another thing we have done in the past is babysat. Um, sometimes for as much as a week um, with the child left with us while the family goes on vacation and making the child stay with us. But anyway, see, these are thoughts of stewardship. Well, this morning we want to look at something that continues the theme we started last time. For if you remember, last time we looked at the stewardship that we had of Scripture. And as we did so, I want to remind you of three things about that. We saw, first of all, that the Scriptures are an instrument of salvation. The good news of deliverance comes from God's Word. Somebody uses that Word to minister to me whether from the pulpit, on a chair next to us, however it might be. We also saw that the stewardship that has been given to us is a stewardship of growth. It's a food. It's a way that we grow in our Christian walk. And then we also see that it brings understanding to events in life, our lives. From salvation. I didn't even know I needed to be saved. And one day the scriptures worked in my life and showed me my need. But then they showed me other things about trials, for example, or other events that come into our lives. They even tell me about a stewardship. Well, this morning, I want to begin looking at a stewardship that is given to each believer. It's important we understand it. And we want to look at it in four weeks, over a four-week period, one each week. And with that, would you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In chapter 2 of Acts, we actually have the start of the New Testament church that our Lord is building. And we see the 120 are gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak with tongues of fire, we're told. Different languages. And as they're doing so, there are people in Jerusalem who hear what's going on. In fact, there's thousands who get together and say, what is happening here? Well, Peter takes the opportunity in Acts 2. You know, when Peter's there, you know he's going to talk. 
and they say these guys are drunk. And so Peter says, ah, oh, that's not true. Let me tell you what's going on. And he begins to preach in chapter 2 of the fulfillment of Joel 2. And I want you to notice one verse that I want to begin with anyway. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter's preaching, he says this in verse 23. Referring to Jesus, he says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you, talking to the crowd, have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. In this verse, he showed God's sovereign program coming forth in the crucifixion of Christ, but he also brings forth the responsibility of humans, of sinners, for that event as well. That is in the middle of a sermon that is the beginning of the church. Peter goes on preaching, talking about the Son of God and what he's done, about the resurrection and so on. And then we come to verse 41, and we read this. Then those who gladly received his word, that is the message he had just preached, and you can read it in chapter 2, though those who gladly received his word were baptized. They showed they were saved. And that day, notice, about 3,000 souls were added to them or added to the church, if you will. That word church means a called out assembly, a called out group, if you will. That very day, the church went from 120 meeting together to over 3,000 as the Spirit of God worked in their lives. Now at this point, change begins to happen. These 3,000 didn't just pray a prayer or make a decision. They were eternally and genuinely and radically changed. A new event has just happened. And there's no question, these people are different than when Peter started preaching. They had repented and tasted God's wonderful grace. They'll never be the same, as we'll even see over the next few weeks. The change is really manifest in one verse that I want to spend time on. That verse is verse 42 as we look at what we call a thumbnail sketch of the church. Read, if you will, follow as I read Acts 2, verse 42. And they, referring to the 3,000, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, a breaking of bread and prayers. Now, let's look at that passage, if you will, as we reflect upon what has just happened. Peter has preached. 3,000 souls have been saved, and they've been manifesting it by baptism. And by the way, if you haven't been baptized, and you're a believer this morning, that's something you ought to be doing. If that's the case, let us know. But let's move on here 
And I want to look at the foundation of the believer's walk. And looking at verse 42, the 3,000, it says, They continued steadfastly. That word continued steadfastly means they persevered. Nothing would change their newfound life or walk. Nobody could talk them out of it. Nobody could push them out of the way. It's like a guard in football who's trying to keep out the lineman. He puts everything he can into blocking that onrushing defense. That's what this word means, continued steadfastly. They planted their feet, would not change. They have a new life. See, it wasn't to them like a club where they could be involved or not, depending on whatever's going on. It's so cold, I'm not going to the lodge meeting tonight. I'm going to stay home. Uh-uh, they weren't like that. They persevered. They would go regardless. I have such a large day, the woman says, I'm not going to go to my sewing circle tonight. No. They continued steadfastly. They wanted to be involved it was part of their new life. Well, now look at verse 42 again. And we want to realize that as we think about the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, there's four items that they continued in. Four distinct items. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. And over the next four weeks, we're going to take the time to look at each one of those. But notice again in your text, I want you to see verse 43 for a moment. Verse 42, they continued in those four areas. And then look at verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The ministry went on after verse 42. And look at verse 42 or verse 43. The first word is so important there. It's that word then. Then. There were noticeable results, see, after those 42 began to continue and persevere. God-fearing lives are manifest. There is a visible change and the result is different works are going on where it tells us here, wonders and signs. Wow, things are happening, and they're happening quickly. Let's go on, verse 44. Now all who believed, those 3,000, now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, <clears throat> and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Simply put, they were caring for each other. They're together in this. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple, bringing bread from house to house, they ate their food <coughs> with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Verse 46 talks about shared lives. I doubt if the local news... Um, events as, as they were discussed as these lives were changed. But they were. Remember that song that used to be sung? I, I haven't heard it for ages. Things are different now. And if you know that song, 
you can sing it later. <laughs> but then, verse 47, the Lord's work grew. People came to Christ. People are saved because those 3,000 are manifesting something is different. They came to Jerusalem to go through a feast, and wow, God's done a work. And they persevered in this. Now, we see this unfold in the following chapters. But I want you to notice four things that characterize their change. And as I mentioned, we're going to look at them over the next four weeks as we look at it in the context of 2018. That's where we are. How does this affect us today? How do we see them in their lives? Because they were so important in the early church that we are told they persevered in them. Their lives were changed. Now, Let's look at this first one that's mentioned, and that is the Apostles' Doctrine. They continued in the Apostles' Doctrine. That meant that they, they, they took heed to the message of the Apostles. It means they adhered to or attended the teaching, instruction of the Apostles. And that they not only continued, they enjoyed them, they wanted them, they were important. What did they include? Well, I want to begin by asking a question. And that is, who are the apostles? Or, what's going on here? How did the church see them? Who are these apostles? Well, go to, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be back in Acts, but for right now, Ephesians chapter 2. Because as it says, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. What's going on here? What does he mean? Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 20. Let's go back to verse 19. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Referring to the church. And then verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. When you build a building, you put a foundation into the ground first. The building sets upon the foundation. And what is the foundation of the church? The apostles and prophets, referring to the word of God. Okay? So it's the foundation on which the church rests. But go to chapter 4 now, Ephesians 4, and look at verse 11. Talking of the Lord building his church, and he himself gave some to be apostles. So that these are gifts given to the church. Apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. These offices were given to the church. Why? for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's he telling us? These four, including the apostles, were given to build up the church 
that it might grow and produce. See, the application here is applying what the apostles taught, the very word of God. And as we go back to Acts 2, we find here that that's what would be involved when it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. So this leads to three questions we want to look at. And the first question is this. Why did the opportunity for growth become part of their lives? Simple question. Why did it become part of their lives? Well, let me share three ideas, three thoughts on this. First, the 3,000 had tasted the goodness of God's word, and they saw it applied. Peter preached. The crowd said during that message in verse 36, look at that, verse 36, as Peter preaches, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Who's the you? The crowd. Their response, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what should we do? What should we, how should we respond to this? And Peter answered, repent, be baptized. Press on. This promises to you, to your children, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And God's grace touched them. They have tasted the grace of God, and 3,000 are saved. But let's see how it's described by Peter later as he's writing his first epistle, we see in 1 Peter 2 these words, as newborn babes, like the 3,000. You need to desire the milk of the word. That's the word of God, the scripture. Why? That you might grow thereby. Eat your vegetables, drink your milk. Those are the most famous words a mother says to their little children. Be nourished. Take in the nourishment. That you might grow thereby. By the way, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. What are the, what's the idea here? That if you're saved, you need to be in the word of God. And by the way, if you claim to be saved, you will be in the word of God. You, you can't deny the scriptures from a new Christian. From a Christian who's been saved. And if you don't want the scriptures, question your salvation. Earnestly question it. Because a desire to be fed by God's word is a characteristic of God's word. Well, that's the first idea here. They had tasted the goodness of God, but second, thinking about their growing These new believers who began together continued together. They continued. A desire, a purpose. They were in it together. That's why it's called a household. Back in Ephesians, that's why it's called a family. We're in it together. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We sit at the same table and we eat the apostles' doctrine. Later on, 
it's going to be said is the apostles continued preaching that there were people more who were added to the Lord. God continued to work. The church grew. In chapter 5, we've had 5,000 more added. Wow, what's going on? The believers continued. Then these things happened. They had tasted the goodness of God. They began together. And then third, we see one evidence of conversion is a desire to be instructed in the doctrines and duties of Scripture. That included a willingness to attend to the preacher of the word. If you look at verse 42, they continued in these four areas. All four of them are done together. Those are things that the church did together. They continued. They enjoyed it together. We grow together. That's one reason we gather for worship. We're on the same page. What an exciting thought as the Lord builds his church. Matthew Henry said this. Let me make, share his quote with you about this very item. He said this. Those who have given up their names to Christ must make a conscious effort of hearing the word. For thereby we give honor to him and build up ourselves in our most holy faith. God has given us his word. And we get to grow together. That's what the church is all about. In the early church, um, I think by the early church in our country, the church gathered in the morning and they went into the late afternoon. They would have a fellowship supper. They'd spend the day together. When we were visiting Jamestown years ago, um, we noticed there was a sign as we were walking through and looking at the old foundations where the settlement had been. And there was a sign that they said, here was the, one of the laws or rules of the village. On Sundays, or the Sabbath, they'd use that term, when you gather, you bring two things to church. You bring your Bible and your gun. Anyway, your gun. Why? Because we might get attacked by the Indians. The French and Indian War was going to quiet you. And, <laughs> and, um, but that's what was happening. And it wasn't an excuse to stay home. And yet we find all kinds of excuses. You know, you're going to bring your gun, you're going to bring your powder, your right? You're going to bring your Bibles. That's how the church began here. See, in the early church, they went that long. On their walls, in their homes, was calendars reminding them. You look at your smartphone, the alarm would go off, it's the Lord's Day. It's a standing appointment. We ought to have an attitude of going to church and fellowshipping in the apostles' doctrine like the law of the Medes and the Persians. We don't alter it. It's not our day to do something else. 
They persevered in the apostles' doctrine. But let's move on here. As we reflect upon this, there's a second question we want to look at. Remember, the first question was, why did this opportunity for growth become part of their lives? Well, the second question, how did their growth manifest itself in their lives? How did it manifest? Well, it's foundational, as we've seen, dealing with the apostolic teaching. But there's other applications. Let me share a few. And by the way, these would all come under the watch care of God's appointed teacher or shepherd. He gave the pastor to the church to oversee what's going on, to make sure they have the right teaching, as Ephesians talks about. What's going on? What, it might include things, small groups even getting together, like Sunday school, Bible studies. At Emmanuel here, we have at least three things going on. We have men sharpening men, where the guys get together the first Saturday of the month, we eat some food, and we discuss the things of God together. Men ought to be involved in that. One hour a month. Or we have things like meaningful motherhood, where the ladies get together once a month in the evening, especially those with children, and they get together and they discuss from God's word what's going on. Or another thing is, well, heart to heart on Tuesday mornings where ladies can get together and study again the scriptures, all under the framework of the church the Lord is building. And if you want to see another one, we can get something else going because we ought to have a desire under the watch care of the church to press on, to grow. These things bring forth encouragements and blessings as lives are shared. No wonder we see the words in Acts 2. They continued steadfastly. We get to do it. We can look at church as two directions. Well, guys, we have to go to church, or hey, guys, we get to go to church. See the difference? It's a privilege. The Lord's building the church, and he's added to it. And some of, the, of us are part of it. We ought to rejoice in it. And what's important to the Lord ought to be important to us. Well, there's a third question we want to look at, and it's this. Why do we need to take heed to the teachings of the scriptures? Well, we looked at that last week. We've touched on it again this week. Let me share. Say, for teaching or preparing to minister to others. The church is, in a way, a training center to minister to two kinds of people. And we all can do this. I remember, in fact, a little boy. He's about this tall. I don't know what his height has anything to do with it. He was about two years older than Paul. He would go home after church, and he would get some cardboard boxes and stack them together and play pastor. He'd go up in his room, and you know what? His sister had to sit on the floor and listen. <laughs> How many children want to do that? We ought to be excited about the things of God. Well, who are we going to teach? Who are we going to minister to? Well, one, to believers. 
We grow to meet their needs, to teach, exhort, encourage, rebuke. We love the Lord. We love these people. Did you know there are people in our church family who are discouraged? We ought to know. We ought to be sensitive. Ladies ought to know what's going on in ladies' lives. Men ought to know what's going on in men's lives. Sometimes people need a rebuke, a good rebuke. We love the Lord. We love them. We have no excuse for not growing and not doing ministry. If we're Christians, we ought to be doing it. But we're also going to minister to those who are unbelievers. We've been equipped to go to meet the needs of the unsaved. We might do it with physical means as we help them as well. But we also reach out to their souls. Well, that person sat next to me this morning. You say, what are you talking about? Well, later this afternoon, you read they were killed on the way in from church. Could that happen? I don't know. We have opportunities even to minister with a good old-fashioned good to see you. At least we can minister in one way or another. So we're going to be teaching or preparing to minister to others also, we're going to keep in mind for the edifying, for edifying the church, to build it up, to strengthen it, to aid in growth, both of those in the church who have certain needs. We want to make sure we have a well-balanced diet, the scripture. If we think about it, worship, as you know, is primarily for believers. Unsaved people don't really worship. They might sit here. They aren't honoring God. That's why we need to look at our lives. Believers have that privilege. And that's what happened in Acts 2. I wonder what happened the next week. How did they get? What, what happened? Well, we're not told. But that's okay. Maybe when we get to heaven, we can talk to some of those people. We'll have plenty of time. <laughs> Remember. There's opportunities to serve, to minister. See, we grow to serve. Not just fill a memory bank or a computer of our minds. We take in to give out. I remember hearing the story of a cow. A cow goes out in the field, or wherever it is, and it eats. And as it, by the next day or that evening, it's got to be milked. If it's not milked, it's going to get sick. If it doesn't give what it's taken in, problems. You and I, same thing. We're not cows, but we do have a job to do. And that includes taking the commitment of being Christians and press on to feed others, to minister. The pastor must be committed to the Lord so there be the proper care of the Lord's sheep, making sure that they bring forth the apostles' doctrine and that there's that growth in ministry. Is it there? We only can look in our lives. 
There must be a commitment to the Lord by those who continue in the apostles' doctrine. It's not us. There will be if you're, if you're sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do we desire the feast that we can give? As we close, I want to ask you, do you see how important the ministry of the word is to the church? His body grows and it's built up to serve him. That it might honor him, bring glory to him. And that'll be one thing characteristic of our lives as we persevere in the apostles' doctrine. It'll be manifest to others. Might we grow, might we be committed to him, even to his church? Just like Acts 2. If you're here this morning outside of Christ, you need to deal with your soul. And just maybe there's somebody next to you who could talk to. Let's make sure we're ready to leave here for his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we rejoice in your word this morning. We thank you for the way you work in our lives. We thank you, Father, for the church that you're building, for the word that you allow us to continue in and help us to be honest before you as we look at our heart's desires. Do we desire, as the early church, to persevere in the apostles' doctrine, to grow and minister, even as we've seen this morning? Let us help us to be honest with you for your glory in Jesus' name.